Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. I don't know how your week has been. Um, mine has been crazy, so I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> From f- plumbing stuff to internet stuff, f- frying, and multiple trips to Best Buy, every time someone very convinced they are giving me the right thing, totally wrong, uh, to getting everything working when I thought it would take an hour to take like eight hours and then something else and then waking up to an early phone call because key staff member's family's having a baby to uh, another printer that we thought would work just fine as our backup is not liking anything we do. Uh, It is such a good thing to be able to say it is well with my soul even in the midst because we're not alone. And I want to say it's great to see you, that you're here together with us as a body. It is good to be with you. I'm going to ask if John will bring the lights up. And uh, I want to point out to you as we begin in your bulletin, on the inside right, there's a blank space. If you need some space to write down notes, questions, verses, ideas, whatever it is you need to do to stay engaged this morning, uh, you may be like me and it's going to take effort. That's there for you to do whatever you need to do to do so. We are in week eight of our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And as we begin, I want to remind us that we have just come out of this season in the church calendar called Eastertide. The season begins with the resurrection we celebrated on Easter, and it goes 50 days with its end on Pentecost Sunday, which was last Sunday. Pentecost is this day that we remember when this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit came upon the earlier Christ, early Christ followers, launching a literal nonstop outward movement of the church that continues to this very day. And ever since then, the Holy Spirit has been inviting anyone and everyone to join in a relationship with the God of the universe, partnering to bring about transformation, new life, and restoration of the kingdom of God right now. It's very cool. And today we're looking at a story that is a perfect continuation of this movement because like Pentecost, we are looking at a story where we see someone's life absolutely transformed. A person that goes from being completely lost, alone, hopeless, helpless, poor, completely blind, to being able to clearly see It's a story where God partners with humanity to bring about this transformation in and through others. And it's a story of faithful obedience to follow Jesus without hesitation as a result. So I'm very excited for us today. Before we move on, though, I want us to get a little context. In chapter 8, through to our text today, which is at the very end of chapter 10, we see two stories where people who were blind are healed. And between these two stories, Jesus travels with his disciples towards Jerusalem. And on the way, he tells the disciples three times about his coming death. And each time they respond to these predictions, showing that they are blind to the future that Jesus is trying to reveal to them. They don't get it. They don't see it. And we can relate to that. We've been told sometimes, this is how you do something. This is what's going to happen. And we've been told many times, and it still doesn't work. I was told that about my printer this week. This is what you need to do to get it up and running. Okay, and I do it, and it's not working. We don't get it. 
Here, Mark uses two stories of blind men to bracket a series of stories about the disciples who, even though they have been closely following Jesus, in many ways are still spiritually blind. And the story that we're looking at today of Bartimaeus is the last healing miracle in this Gospel of Mark. And it's at the very end of chapter 10. Chapter 11 kicks right in and introduces Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which, of course, is the prelude to his crucifixion. And in true Mark form, there's a ton going on within this text pointing to who Jesus is, what he's calling us to do as his followers, and what our response to this invitation should look like. So as we got a little context, I want to open us up in prayer, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive in. Father, Son, Spirit, I know for me, I am just wanting to pause and recognize your presence. I'm going to speak for myself, but I think I'm speaking for all of us to say, we need you. I need you. And the words that I have here, I don't want them to be my words. I want them to be your words as you've given them to me for us. So I do pray, God, that you would help me to communicate clearly through your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us all to hear. And not just hear, see and respond. We want you to be glorified, and so we ask that you would move however it is you would like to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have your Bible, you could please open it up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 46. And if you don't, no worries. Um, The text will be displayed on the wall behind me, and you could follow along this way. Uh, We'll start with chapter 10, verse 46 of Mark. It says this, Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, one of the things I love about this story is it's really easy for us to enter into it. We might not think about it initially, but we've all been in a crowd where there most likely was a beggar asking for assistance. We may have even a memory of a situation of a beggar who wasn't just there asking for assistance, but was probably doing it in a very loud and obnoxious way. We've all been in a crowd wanting to get someplace to see someone or something, maybe a concert or a sporting event or a political rally. We can feel the energy and the anticipation Maybe you have had an experience where you tried to silence the voice of someone for whatever reason. Or maybe you've been in a situation where you were a part of a group that for some reason looked up to some people 
and for another reason looked very much down on others. Or maybe you've been in a situation where you know exactly what it's like where people are looking down on you and it's not a very good feeling. And we all know what it's like to be in a place where we feel helpless, where we feel as if we've tried everything and nothing has worked or gone our way. In only six verses, we have ample options for us to enter into the story and relate. And as a result, the story is full of so much theology, imagery, and depth that I love. But for today, I think there are three things that I really want us to see and kind of hopefully get from this story. And I truly believe that these things are for us. A church, a people in Seattle, Washington, in Wedgwood, full of many followers of Christ, being called to love, serve, and reach a very lost city. And the first two things I want us to focus on center around names, particularly Bartimaeus and Jericho. And upon reading this, these just kind of seem like names. It's not like you stop and go, what is all the meaning behind these names? We don't find ourselves pausing at those moments. But what I find is that oftentimes the Bible discloses some of its most vital points, its most important things, its details, in the things we tend to skip over en route to find kind of the meat, right, of the text. But as I studied this text in detail, I believe in this case with Mark 10, these two names mentioned are actually super specific, super helpful for us today in our context in Seattle. So I want us to start first with this name, Bartimaeus. Now, if you remember, Mark is the earliest of the Gospels, and as a result, the other synoptic Gospels pretty much include everything Mark says and more. But it's interesting to note that of the three evangelists of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who report this incident, Mark is the only one that tells us the name of this blind person, Bartimaeus. Which I always find it interesting when someone's name is preserved for us, because the vast majority of the people whom Jesus heals, are, they're anonymous. In fact, basically all of them are unnamed. Yet here we have a name. It must be significant. And similarly, if you look at the parables that Jesus told, the only character who ever had a name within the parable was the poor man, Lazarus. And Luke knew exactly what he's doing by giving this desperately poor person a name. Luke wants us to be very clear on the fact that the poor are not a faceless category, but real people. And that is absolutely Luke. But in the same way... Bartimaeus' memory is preserved for us today in Mark 10. We even learn his father's name. So why is this important for us? Well, maybe Brian's going to name his young boy Bartimaeus. It's not going to happen. The first is it's a reminder to us that people whom Jesus healed in the course of his ministry, they're real flesh and blood human beings. They're not just symbols of this or that condition or illness or disease. The poor and the impoverished and the disadvantaged were people with real feelings, with family history. They were people who once had others who took care of them, who loved them. Whether or not they're currently present in that story, they're real. And for some of us, we might be thinking, uh, 
you're taking this a little too far, Rich, but I think it's very important for our church, One Life Community Church, and for us as individual followers of Christ to be reminded that we are absolutely called to minister to the poor and the disenfranchised. And even more than that, these are people we are called to minister are not to be understood as a broad, kind of faceless, economic, socioeconomic category that we just kind of discuss in these abstract forms, right? These are real people. They bear the very image of God, just like we do. And we live in a city with the fastest growing and one of the largest homeless populations in the entire United States, along with living in one of the least churched cities in the country. And I really need you. I need us to understand our call. This is our place of ministry, and those outside this space, right outside that door, have names and stories to be told and heard. And they are the people we are called to reach. Now, I think there's another thing going on here with this name, Bartimaeus, and that is that when the poor do speak up, when the poor do cry out to someone known to be important and powerful, society's first inclination is to shut them up, to tell them to be quiet. Now, it's possible, right, that maybe the good citizens of Jericho saw this guy as a social embarrassment, kind of an eyesore, a blow to civic pride, and they don't want Jesus to see this because it's going to make them look bad, right? So let's just shut that guy up. But this is the showy nature of humanity on display here. Because we see in the very moment that this man is invited over to this VIP in their midst, now suddenly everyone's flocking to him, treating him like he suddenly has this collateral importance. I don't know how that hits for you, but that hits close to home, right? How many movies and stories have we read about this kind of idea? I'm old, so I think of Can't Buy Me Love. Um, But Mean Girls is another one. There's lots of them. It's amazing how quickly we can pivot from avoiding, if not actively dissing a person, to wanting to cozy up with them the moment this person can give us a connection to someone famous or important or popular. So this story is a hard and real look at humanity and human nature that gets very personal. So, in any event, at the very least, there's a lot of social dynamics going on in this story, most of which I think are very instructive for the church today. We need to be challenged in that we should not wait until Jesus calls a poor person over, let alone anyone. And we surely should not, in the meantime, be trying to silence the voice of the voiceless. The Gospels very clearly show us over and over again that Jesus has already called all of the world's disenfranchised, lowly, marginalized, invisible people. In fact, everyone he has called. This is the reality of why the church exists. This is what Pentecost launched into this outward movement. We're no longer supposed to wait to see If Jesus will notice this person or that person, he already has. What we are to do in response should now be quite obvious. 
Now, there's a second name that our text points out, and that's this story is being happening in uh, Jericho. What are we doing here in Jericho? When were we last here in any significant way in the scriptures? This incident of the healing of a blind man is the only time in the Gospels when Jericho is mentioned. Luke, in his account, adds an additional incident in Jericho with Zacchaeus, but uh, in his narrative, it's at the same time and situation as this story. Mark says that as Jesus was departing Jericho, Bartimaeus shouted. Do you get it? Jesus is outside of Jericho with a large crowd. He's outside of Jericho, and someone is shouting. Sound familiar? It's from the book of Joshua, and we all know the story, right? And the walls came tumbling down. The Israelites' seventh-day march around the city on the seventh and decisive day, the Israelites lift up their voices and give this mighty shout, bringing down the walls of this fortified city. What follows, of course, in the Old Testament is this massive, massive amount of old-style Old Testament carnage. Every man, woman, child, and animal are put to the sword and torched. Not our pretty picture. Now, I absolutely do not have time to explain Old Testament holy wars. They're crazy. They're hard. They're confusing. They're not easily explained. And just the thought of infants being killed on Yahweh's direct orders can cause problems, understandably. But I will say this. And that is just like today's text. If you just read it from a distance, if you only go on the surface and never put time in studying it, I guarantee you, you will absolutely miss it. And even when you do study, I'm not sure you're going to absolutely make sense of it, right? It's not going to be absolutely clear. But we do have to study and dive into the depths of the meanings of the scripture. And this is a perfect example with our text with just simple names. And I might be going out on a limb here, but I do not think it's too much of a stretch to suggest that Mark is showing the most beautiful gospel reversal of all that that Joshua mayhem. After all, here's Jesus, the new Joshua, outside the walls of Jericho. A large crowd is with him, and a lone beggar shouts to be heard. And when people tell him to shut up, he shouts even louder. And amazingly, in this story, the shouting leads to a crumbling of a different set of walls. This time, what we're talking about are the social barriers or the social walls that get erected by all societies between the well-to-do and the down-to-out, like Bartimaeus. So here, Bartimaeus shouts in Jericho, but this time, the result of all the shouting is not a bloody battle, loss of life, but an incredible restoration of shalom. Salvation happens this time. A man who was lost, blind, homeless, poor, lacking in every way possible is now restored and joins Jesus' larger band of followers. It's incredible. It reminds me of an old hymn my church I used to serve that's now 115 years old used to sing called Lead On, O King Eternal. And there's a line in it that I've always loved. It says this, For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, 
the heavenly kingdom comes. If ever the church needed a reminder of why we make a mistake when we try to adapt Old Testament, ancient, Israel-esque kind of imagery of God's people engaging in these holy wars, culture wars, and other imageries of a hostile God, the Bible's sequel to the Battle of Jericho here in Mark 10, I believe, provides it. I believe God has asked us to remember this as One Life Community Church here in Seattle today. Because our story takes a place previously known for the carnage that happened there. A man with a real name, Bartimaeus, is touched by the power of God and of his Christ and of his gospel. And as a result, there's massive hope and joy flooding this story. And this is the story we are being called to proclaim in Jesus. Ever since Pentecost, the church, through God's Holy Spirit, has been on the move to touch and transform real people with real names, with the real power of the gospel. And ever since that day, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God has been participating and literally partnering with humanity in making this restoration process happen. And that leads me to the last thing I want us to see here and understand today. And to get at it, we're going to have to look a little deeper within the text. And so um, we have to look at some of these other scriptures. The first one I want us to see is verse 47. It says this, when he heard, they're talking about Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. What I want us to see from this is that the entire miracle scene happens by somebody telling this blind person, this outsider, that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Bartimaeus doesn't know it's Jesus. He has no idea what's going on until someone tells him. And this is just one example of God using humanity to draw people to Jesus. We don't even know who told him. It doesn't say the disciples told him. It's this incredible combination that we see over and over in Scripture of a combination of human activity and divine activities that come together in partnership to produce a miracle. And I want to look at that in detail because what we see is it starts with Jesus. Get my slide going here. Jesus first starts it off, coming to Jericho. And what we see there, then, is people, we don't know who they are, share the news with this blind person. The blind man, then, after receiving this, responds in faith by persistently calling after Jesus, even with all these people telling him to be quiet. So we got this back and forth. Then what happens? Jesus tells others to call the blind person to him. This would have seemed ridiculous. Why would we waste any time talking with this person? Why go get this person? But the people respond and bring the blind man to Jesus. The blind man then responds, again, back and forth in faith by leaving his possessions, where he probably had very little, jumping up and coming to Jesus. And I want you to note there the echo of the original calling of the disciples, dropping their nets, leaving their jobs, their families, at the invitation to come and follow Jesus in his ministry. This guy does the same thing. 
And then it gets back again. Jesus asks a question. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man responds with an answer of his honest need. He says, I want to see. Note, the disciples, people who have literally seen Jesus and experienced firsthand who he is, when faced with the very same question just a few verses before, answer with a clueless, prideful, unservant-like, spiritually blind desire to be seen as the best, to be at the right hand of God. Bartimaeus In contrast, who is blind, who has never seen Jesus or experienced anything of Jesus or his ministry or his teaching, shows incredible faith and spiritual understanding, and in faith, honestly shares his need with Jesus. He doesn't ask for money, position, power, food, a spouse, education, a job, or to be top dog. He simply and honestly asks to be able to see to be on a level playing field with society. A request that he knows would take an absolute miracle and would transform his life. And Bartimaeus asks for this in faith, believing Jesus is the only one who could do it. Then what happens? Jesus responds again, declares him healed because of his faith, and it happens, and his life is transformed, and then he's told that he can just go. How does he respond? He immediately responds by following Jesus. And where is he being followed into? The the crucifixion, the triumphal entry and the entrance into Jerusalem. This story is an amazing picture of how God works. He doesn't just randomly point his finger at something and says, abracadabra, and now you're healed, right? He participates and he partners with humanity. How often as followers of Christ, as people who have literally seen and experienced the work of Christ in our very lives, do we forget this? How often do we sit back and do nothing? We ignore those in need all around us, the opportunities right in front of us. How often do we just kind of assume God will do them himself if he wants to, right? That's his job. How often are we like these disciples Asking for the wrong thing, desiring the wrong things, and just plain blind in many ways spiritually. Right? We should be the ones that are more aware and able to clearly see and hear the working of the Holy Spirit around us. We should be the ones that are first to step up to the invitation to participate in restoring God's kingdom right now. But let's be really honest. Are we? This story has been a challenge to me. It's about being blind. It's about faith. It's about calling out to Jesus and Jesus calling us. It's about being honest about our needs, having eyes to see. It's about responding and participating in the work of the Spirit. And it's about transformation. And as we close, I want us to remember again that the Gospel of Mark is written in a way that is full of both action and and reaction. We even see the word immediately again. It's this fast-moving kind of text where every word is used with great focus and purpose. And I also want to remind you that this gospel is written in such a way as if you feel as if you're in. It's like you're zooming in and it's kind of this 3D thing where you see and touch and enter into the story. 
But it's also written in such a way in where our response to what we've seen and heard is critical. I believe what we have been discussing today is for us. And to be clear, it's not just for us to hear, but something we're called to respond to with action. So as we close, I want to do a little exercise in seeing and hearing and responding, because I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is constantly doing around us all the time, especially in these moments where we're gathered together looking at the scriptures. So as an exercise, uh, I would invite you to join in. And it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But what I'd like you to do is to close your eyes. And I don't want you to open them even when you feel like you want to open them. Okay? So I want you to get comfy. I want you to close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, I want you to first listen to our scripture again and think about what you hear and what sticks out to you. So keeping your eyes closed. Mark 10. 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When then he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now with your eyes still closed... I want you to ponder anyone you know or see or hear in your everyday sphere of influence that are in need, who are blind, who are lost. Think of those people who you have passed by, maybe ignored or looked down upon or forgotten, who are literally calling out in some form for help, for mercy for grace, for Jesus. They are not just poor or homeless in the literal sense. They could be poor in spirit, poor in community, poor in relationship. Can you picture them? These are people in your specific area, your very own Jericho. And as you think of these people with your eyes closed, I want to remind you that at Pentecost, God's Spirit does not discriminate. 
God's Spirit loves all people, speaks all languages, engages all cultures, and shows no favorites with no exceptions. And so with your eyes closed, how is God inviting you to ponder and participate with him in bringing these people to Jesus? How's the Holy Spirit empowering you to connect with and to call these people to Jesus? Okay, you can open your eyes now. It's hard to go so long without opening your eyes, right? We want to see what's going on. Imagine if you had no sight. We have some in our community in this very situation, physically are blind, which is hard enough. But imagine being spiritually blind as well. I think it's very interesting that the one in the story who had never met Jesus is the one who showed faith and who is not acting spiritually blind to who Jesus is. And it's those who have been following Jesus who have seen him heal others and experienced him who are in many ways acting spiritually blind. The story challenges us to remember that the church worldwide still today can and is often full of people who know Christ but are spiritually blind like the disciples in the story. The church is full of people who are missing the point, who don't get it. They don't recognize or see or even listen to the Holy Spirit at work around them all the time. And I think we are being reminded and challenged and maybe even warned about that. But I think it also reminds us that as we live in a city that is one of the least churched, there are so many people who have not met Jesus personally yet. But they're not spiritually blind to who Jesus is. They're just waiting for someone to invite them, to call them over, to bring them to Jesus. And that should be a great encouragement, a great invitation and motivation for us as well. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I'd like to invite you to pull out your connection card. Um, We've just spent this entire series asking the same two questions. And it's the same two questions I have for you today. Um, And I would love to get your thoughts on it. And the cool thing is there's no right or wrong. It's just what you hear and how you respond. And we just spent this time engaged in listening. And so what I would love to hear from you is what you heard and how do you respond. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to pray for us in a moment. I'm going to go ahead and invite the prayer team to come forward as well. Um, But I would love for you to just to take a moment to answer the question, what did you hear today? And how do you respond? And as you leave, if you would drop that in one of those wood boxes at the door, that would be fantastic. It's a way for us to hear what the Spirit's doing. It's a way for us to hear where you're challenged, where you're confused, where you're motivated, whatever it is. And it's a way for us to pray for you. But I'm going to pray for us. The worship team will start playing some music, but they're going to give you a little space to write down your answers. And then John will eventually start leading us in the last song as a song of response.
Um, but take your time in responding, and uh, thank you for participating in this. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll continue on. And I'm just reminding you, stick around, because there's cake. Who doesn't want that? So the Spirit right now is telling you to stick around for cake. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we have listened to your word. This picture in which you participate, interact, partner with humanity to bring about transformation in people's lives. And not just any old person, not some kind of anonymous person, but a person with a real name, with a real story, with a real situation, with real friends, with real family. And God, you participate with us to bring them to you, to see their lives transformed. It is a very humbling reality that we very easily forget, that we even oftentimes ignore. And so, God, we confess that we have failed at times to listen and respond to you. But today, God, we're listening. Help us to know how to respond. Help us start, like Bartimaeus, to just come to you, to drop our stuff. Even if we're being told to be quiet, even if we have absolutely nothing, help us to come in full honesty before you to experience your transforming power through your Holy Spirit, God. And just like Bartimaeus, after being transformed, send us, help us to go, help us to be your followers in this city that desperately needs others to invite these people to you. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.